and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Jillian Parker. Hi, Quinn. Hi, everyone. How are you doing, Jillian? Um, I'm doing all right. It's been a really long semester, but I'm okay. hanging in there. It's day three, but I believe in you. So, it's been a long semester. <laughs> um... First of all, we're back together. It's exciting. Yes, I love waking up to Quinn's lovely face every morning. I know. We're actually also waking up at the relatively the same time this semester, I yes. think. What time do you actually wake up? Uh, 6, 6.30. God, that's so early. I've been waking up at 6.45, though. That's, okay, for you, that's like my 3 a.m. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, Quinn and the rest of our roommates have been going to the gym every morning, being productive and put together, while I have been not going to the gym, but wearing athletic clothes nonetheless. We went to spin class and it was really fun. But also, you've been studying for the GRE, which sounds awful, so more power to you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it is awful. It's, it's, it's the worst experience of my life, but... Suffering that, builds character, so it's fine. That could be such a transition right here. It's like, speaking of awful things. Perfect. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yeah, so basically, um, as far as events go this week, pros, Julia and I are back together. Cons, literally everything else that's happened. Yeah, pretty much. I feel like that's a good summary of everything. Yeah, show's over. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> So in the same vein as this, I was asked to make up a word for a problem that does not have an adequate solution. Uh, oh, okay. Um, aside from, you know, like, our lives, <laughs> my GPA, <laughs> things my like that. My love life. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that's important to me. <laughs> um, ooh. See... I feel like, because I feel like the phrase dumpster fire has been overused and also does not capture the same amount of utter hopelessness, maybe? I mean, you can always put out a dumpster fire. Uh, yeah, I feel like we need the perfect balance of utter hopelessness mixed with desperation. You know? Like, it needs, like, that edge to it. I feel like there should be a German word for this. I was gonna say, what's the... I, I think I'm pronouncing this wrong. Is it schism or schism? Schism? I think... I think it's schism. I think it's schism too, but I've heard someone say schism, but also that person was probably dumb, so I don't <laughs> that remember. That doesn't sound right. Um, yeah, it's, I think it, yeah, it has to be schism. I would call it a panic schism. A panic schism? Mm-hmm. Why? Because a schism is like, you know, um, I'm just like referencing like the great schism when it happened with the, uh, the breakup between the, um, Catholic church and then the Protestant church, and so then like, okay, a breakup, so pretty much destruction of something that was once there and then panic because you're panicking over this but you can't really do anything about it it's just sort of happening i like how this became like religious history i just came from my hebrew bible <laughs> class okay <laughs> <laughs> you know i can go for this panic schism desperation schism i feel like the word schism isn't used enough it isn't i think we should bring it back all right also defenestration we should bring that back Awesome. Defenestration of Prague when they threw that guy out the window. I don't know what you're talking about. It was like the start of the Thirty Years' War during the Thirty Years' War. I don't know why I'm being so historical today. Ooh, that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now that we have the vocabulary that we need to tackle this week, let's talk about some panic schisms. <laughs> Seriously, though, so this week we inaugurated... Well, we didn't do anything. I have no part in this. <laughs> 
other people inaugurated the 45th president of the United States, which matters to us because we live on the earth. I would say the United States, but at this rate, mm, I'm not sure. Mm, Yeah, debatable. Jury's still out on that one. That makes it sound like I'm moving. I just meant that the whole world will be destroyed. (laughs) Disclaimer, we are still very much in the U.S. Yeah. The inauguration in itself was fairly uneventful, honestly. And the biggest topic of conversation that came from it was the fact that there weren't that many people there. Like, a lot of people watched it on TV or whatever, something like 30 million people. Um, But the people that were actually there in person was much, much lower than it was for Obama, especially in 2009, um, which is just kind of like something to bring me petty joy, but became a bigger deal because then they were lying about it. And Sean Spicer, who is the White House press secretary and Trump himself, um, were claiming that it was the biggest inauguration ever, which is wrong on like any, any kind of metric that you're trying to use, this becomes a huge problem because now that he's in office, when you're lying about things, it's not just lying anymore. That's called state propaganda. Yeah, they said that they got, they said that statement was based on alternative facts, but, uh, okay, so the only defense that I can possibly think of is that when they said biggest inauguration, they mean like symbolically, but even then that's just... Sorry, did you see that Trump declared his inauguration day as a day of patriotic devotion? So he's basically calling himself a god. That's great. That's the most dictator thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> um, so we have a president that is not telling the truth, so that's good. Also, we had um, a women's march. There were several women's marches held around the country. Um, around the world. Around the world, actually. Yeah, there were bunch in Europe. The biggest one, or the most reported on, was obviously in D.C., Um, but there was one in Boston, there was one in New York, and pretty much it was, I wouldn't call it a protest necessarily, but a lot of people um, thought it kind of took on that vibe of a protest, of protesting against Trump, which, okay, that, first of all, that's totally fair, but um, I think I saw the women's, the women's march as more of a um, a movement of like teamwork, um, collaboration, solidarity between all women all over, um, supporting each other, fighting or fighting, recognizing that yes, we've had we've made a ton of progress, but there's still so much more that needs to be done. Um, but there was definitely a lot, a lot of criticism over that. Yeah, I think it was different for different people who went. Like some people, one hundred percent thought of it as a protest mm-hmm. against Trump. And, um, more generally, like, the misogyny and any other kind of ism you want to throw in there that he stands for. Um, and other people were there, like, more as a symbol of solidarity, connecting with people who have similar views as them, um, and having that symbol of strength, um, on the first day of this new administration. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. And also, yeah, like, like you said, how pretty much based on whether or not you want to do a women's march it pretty much it's up to you how you want to interpret it if you want to do it to support other women and you're doing it for that reason that's also amazing but if you are doing it as a sign of protest um against the presidency 
if it's not violent, I feel like that's fine. Like, isn't that what we're supposed to stand for? The freedom of speech and being able to protest peacefully, but... No, Jillian, you're only supposed to follow the Constitution when it it works for your side. (laughs) Don't you know that by now? It only serves your political agenda. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there were a lot of criticisms of the women's arts from both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. From the more liberal side, there were criticisms about, um, as with all things feminism, for the most part, um, the tendency to center white women um, over women of color, and especially there were a lot of issues with uh, the really strong focus on genitalia, um, because there was a lot of imagery about, um, like, ovaries and uteruses, um, because reproductive healthcare is a really huge part of what people were marching for in this case, and there were some uh, transgender people who felt very alienated by this, especially this idea of, like, focusing womanhood around, like, a uterus. And there have been a lot of thoughts shared about this, um, from both sides of that argument, and I think with all things, like, it was not perfect, um, and there's always, like, more progress to be made, but for the most part, it seemed, like, especially compared to what's going on on the other side, um, the march was generally a sign of solidarity, um, and was a very positive experience for most of the people who went. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. So, there were a lot of criticisms from the other side in regard to the reason, not necessarily the march itself, but the reason why a lot of women were marching. Um, there was this thing going around Facebook and other social media, and also people that I've talked to have voiced this opinion to me, but that the march, yes, it definitely did show solidarity, and it was definitely um, beneficial for those who went and who did feel like they gained something out of it, but a lot of the concern was that women in America, compared to women in third world countries, are extremely privileged, and the fact that we do have access to resources, yes, things here are not perfect, but there are women in other countries who literally cannot go to school, who don't even have access to sanitary napkins, and which prevents them from going to school just because the fact that, you know, they're on their period. Um, and so a lot of people took this to believe that this march was for American women going against that their status uh, against their status of second-class citizens, but a lot of people felt that they didn't feel that their voice wasn't being heard because they were women and that they are actually provided a lot of opportunities in this life and in America because they are women. And also, they, like Quinn said before about a lot of the genitalia um, in the imagery and the posters, a, a lot of the other criticism came from um, the way they chose to speak out. So obviously, they do feel that it's important if you want to speak out, you should definitely speak out, but you can't expect people to listen to you if you use a certain rhetoric in which you're yelling profanities and cursing at men or blaming other people or wearing a pink, in quotes, for JJ hat on your head. And so, in that, I'm still all about, especially I'm all about free speech, and especially if you're not necessarily inciting violence then I think you should be able to say whatever you want, but I think a lot of a lot of this opinion is based on something reasonable, that if you want to appeal to the other side, you should, you have to take into account your audience, and you have to do, you have to assume um, a level of tact and of respect if you want your opinion to be heard, even though it's not necessarily the way you want to get your message across. I think that's something we've touched on before, is 
you don't have like this inherent responsibility to be nice at in for these kinds of things at any time but at the same time there's like it sucks but yes like it, it sometimes is more effective to be like less crude or whatever in that particular case on the other hand this is the kind of criticism that's levied against um third wave feminism in the united states constantly and it makes me so mad because it's like okay literally every time anyone says anything about feminism in the United States, there's always some person that's up there to remind us that people have it worse at other places. If you're gonna say that, I better see your receipts for where you're donating to help this, where you're volunteering to help women in other countries, because if you only bring that as a bargaining chip for when you want women around you to shut up, stop. And, yeah. and like, and people of all genders level these criticisms. I'm not saying it's like only men saying this, but it's a thing that happens and it's like, that's true, but it doesn't mean that injustices don't exist in our country. Especially like I mentioned before about shifting the focus away from like white middle-class women, um, like women of color and transgender women and other people who seriously do have rights that they're fighting for in this country right now. And if they want to wear pink hats and yell about stuff, on the day after what was an incredibly difficult event for a lot of people. All right. (laughs) Yeah, I actually agree with that. um, Because when I was reading this, you actually made some really good points because, again, not only was the rhetoric criticized, but also what they were saying, as in, yeah, like women are complaining about their rights in America, but um, in China and India, there's infanticide of baby girls. In Afghanistan, there's unequal education rights. Um, in Guatemala, there's domestic violence, physical abuse, just all of these awful things. And then why should we feel that we need to march for our rights as, and feel like we're being treated as second-class citizens when we, walk, when we march in clean clothes after eating a good breakfast and it's like more of an event than, say, a movement? But also, I feel like when you say things like that, it's also like when you're trying to comfort someone and someone's really upset about something, like, say, like, oh, like, I'm really upset because, um, I don't know, I I failed my econ exam, whatever. And it's like, okay, well, there are people, uh, like, starving in, insert, foreign country here. And it's like, yes, that's true, but that doesn't make me feel better, and that actually has made me feel worse about myself, because now I am not, now I'm thinking that my unhappiness is not justified, even though I failed something and I should be upset. But then it's like sort of you're discrediting how you feel. And I think that's where the problem is. Yeah, it's this whole system of trying to invalidate people's concerns. I mean, like, well, there's someone who has it worse. Cool. There's there- always going to be someone who has it worse. There's also always going to be someone who has it better. Like, this is not a, this is not a competition. <laughs> My life sucks more than yours, Quinn. <laughs> oh, man. Uh. Anyway, there have been countless people already talking about this and sharing thoughts, um, and we could probably talk about this for the next hour, but we're gonna move on from it. As always, there'll be stuff linked in the show notes, um, expanding more on what we talked about. So to pivot back to the source of, like, 75% of my current stress, um, Trump is president. Sorry, I broke for a sec. Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) We need to talk about uh, a little thing called freedom of the press. <laughs> it's only one of the pillars of our democracy. Not a big deal, you know? It's um, only one of the founding principles of our constitution. It's fine. Yeah. We know that we Republicans hate the constitution, actually. They've been against it a lot. We, we know that about them. 
<laughs> Literally, yikes. <laughs> uh, we should stop throwing shade and just actually talk about it. So, <laughs> just for the record, I am a registered Republican, so I feel like it's okay for us to talk about this, because it's not like we're attacking a certain group of people, we're also attacking myself. <laughs> so, it's fine, guys. It's really fine. <laughs> yeah, that's also why we're allowed to make fun of white people. <laughs> Pretty much we can just make fun of whoever we want. We cover all bases here. We, we cover, like, a decent amount between the two of us. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> so, um, there have been some very concerning freedom of the press issues that have gone on so far. And we talked about this a bit uh, in previous episodes with Trump calling CNN fake news, um, with refusing to take questions from them. Um, this has escalated, as I mentioned earlier, with these ideas of uh, lying coming from the White House briefing room, um, which is very serious. And some people may say, like, oh, it's only crowd size, it doesn't really matter. True, this is, like, a very petty issue, honestly. But it's a sign that on day one, they're willing to lie about petty things. And these concerns were only escalated with some of the stuff that Trump did once he got into office, including putting um, a gag order on the EPA. <laughs> Casual. Casual. Um, so it was the EPA and a few other federal agencies, and he said that they had to stop all communications to the public, all social media posts, everything. So this is not totally unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it's, it's really not uncommon for presidents to put some kind of gag order on federal agencies when they first take office, um, to sort of like get control of everything and shift towards new policies or whatever. Um, but the scope of this was very large and the fact that we do live in a social media age where it was suddenly very apparent that these agencies just stopped posting very suddenly, um, Mm -hmm. really like made it stand out, um, especially when it was the EPA and their serious concerns about Trump's administration on climate change. Um, this was a whole thing. And in an interesting act of rebellion, the Badlands National Park Service started tweeting out climate change facts. Oh. Great. It was actually kind of amazing. Um, So there's, like, this gag order, they're not allowed to post anything, and then this account just starts tweeting out climate change facts. Like, it was the largest subtweet I've ever seen, um, and they just went for it. And then, a few hours later, everything got deleted. Oh. But still, that's so unbelievably savage of them, and I respect it. Even though I'm sad that everything was deleted because, well, life happens, but still, like, yeah, savage. Allegedly, it was a former employee who didn't have authorization to post on the account, but, like, they had access to the account, so... Hmm. Which is just another, another great topic that we won't get into about security and cyber, the cyber world. Oh, the cyber, yes. <laughs> we will be talking about the cyber at some point. <laughs> I hate myself. Um, <laughs> I love you. So that's something we'll see as it develops, whether these gag orders are lifted and things go back normal, or whether the accounts are restricted um, or otherwise censored in some way, which is so concerning. Everything is so concerning. Yeah. Also, side note, for all we know, like an extraordinary amount of things are going to happen over the next 24 hours before this episode is posted. So if something happened that you are surprised we didn't talk about, it might have not happened yet. <laughs> yeah, we are many things, but psychic is not one of them, unfortunately. I'm trying. <laughs> Maybe next year. Next year's New Year resolution. Panic schism. Yes. 
I feel like I'm using that word just as panic now. <laughs> I mean, it can be applied. <laughs> uh, it's very applicable. A P.S. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I feel like when I send you text messages now about the show, I'm going to sign them P.S. And it, like, it looks like I forgot to leave a postscript, but you'll know. <laughs> oh, I will definitely know. <laughs> oh, and then another big lie that Trump has been peddling this week, which, again, weirdly petty thing is the whole quote-unquote voter fraud issue. I'm so over this. I'm, I'm just so over this. I guess this could sort of go back to, you know, his whole claim, not his claim, but um, actually, no, yeah, his claim that he would have won the popular vote if not for the millions of people that were voting illegally. And so this is what has been referred to as voter fraud. And undoubtedly, there there is voter fraud, but the... Ex- the extreme magnitude that Trump claims it is just does not is has just not been verified by any sort of evidence. So it's just it's just a tad a tad bit questionable. Um, just a little bit. Just a little. Yeah, he's he's claiming that three million people voted illegally. This is the thing that gets me. You really think that the Democrats somehow mobilized three million people to vote illegally, and they were all in California, not in swing states? You really think that they managed to pull off that and couldn't put them in the right states? (laughs) Well, government is inefficient, so... (laughs) We figured out half the plan, but then we couldn't move them fast enough. (laughs) Oh, it's A for effort, right? It's the thought that counts. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Trump is still claiming that millions of people voted illegally, which is so stupid. If millions of people voted illegally, that means the election should be rendered null and we should do it again because clearly so much voter fraud was going on that it's not a good result. Um, And literally everyone who has facts is like, no, that's not... There's no... (laughs) It, It just annoys me because either way, like, if this election had turned out either way... Trump would have claimed voter fraud. So even when it's even if the even though the election worked in his favor, he is still calling voter fraud. But he would have called voter fraud if he lost as well. So I'm just I'm just perplexed. It's just he is a child. He's so obsessed with numbers. He literally won the election and he's obsessed with the fact he didn't win the popular vote. He gets He's inaugurated as president. He's obsessed with the fact that he didn't get as many people coming to his inauguration as President Obama's. These numbers do not affect the fact that he is sitting in the White House and Hillary Clinton is not. But he is obsessed with them because numbers are all that matters. Yeah, and it's just going through these articles and reading what he says and what he tweets and what he states, whatever... He also has the vocabulary of a child. And I'm not saying that I'm <laughs> I'm loquacious by any means, but it's Okay, just... you just use the word loquacious, so <laughs> guys, I'm studying for the GRE, okay? <laughs> oh, Quinn, you're so full of pulchritude. That means physical attractiveness. <laughs> um <laughs> But no, yeah, so it's just It's just a lot, Quinn. It's just a lot. And he's just I just don't understand him. He is an enigma to me. Actually, no, I feel like an enigma has more of a positive connotation. Um, he's ruining my life. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Quinn's like, well, you're not wrong. 
bad. Um, so that's a whole huge issue that's happening with like freedom of the press and lying from the administration, whatever. But oh, let me tell you, only the start of panic schisms from this week. Literally, so much stuff happened that we could spend an entire episode talking about that we cannot talk about at all. So I'm just going to run down some of the stuff, and there will be a few links in the show notes about these things. Um, and then we're going to go back and talk about a couple of them that we have some thoughts on. But just to, like, share some of the stuff that Trump has done in his first few days in the White House. He's gearing up Supreme Court justices, um, which unsurprisingly terrify me. He is going ahead on the Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone Pipeline. He's put in place a hiring freeze of all federal employees, which is actually kind of... It's a whole mess because there are exceptions if they're, like, necessary for public safety, but that's a very ambiguous term. Yeah, pretty much um, it's referring to the fact that, or the belief that government is too large and we need to sort of narrow down who's really essential to be, you know, in D.C. and things like that. But when you just say, for the public safety or whatever, that could literally mean anything. Like, you could hire me because I will keep you safe from sadness, you know? Like, it's just... You keep me safe from sadness. <laughs> oh, Quinn, stop. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and one of the articles I read, it basically said, like, Reagan tried this. It didn't work. Yeah. So, so who even... If Reagan can't do it, I doubt Trump can. Oh, God. So who even knows what's happening there? Yeah, so cabinet appointments and hearings for cabinet appointments are going forward. Um, some people have been confirmed. Some people um, the Democrats may oppose... Democrats are not opposing enough people, in my opinion. Trump has also reinstated the global gag rule, also known as the Mexico City policy. Um, so this is a policy that says that uh, international organizations cannot receive funding from the United States if they provide or refer to or give counseling in any way about abortion. Um, now, this is typically been a political football that goes back and forth. Reagan put it in, and then Clinton removed it and then Bush put it back and then Obama removed it and then it goes back and forth. So it's not surprising that Trump put it back. Um, but what he also did was significantly expand it to a frankly terrifying level where before it only applied to family planning organizations, but now it applies to all healthcare. And so this means especially concerning is in the area of AIDS relief. So now organizations that present abortion as an option to HIV positive pregnant women um, and other related cases can't get aid from the United States for AIDS relief in their countries. Okay, well, this is, this is slightly problematic. Um, <laughs> just a little bit. I literally, like, honestly, though, like, nothing shocks me anymore. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I've just, like, reached that threshold where it's just, like, everything is just, like, okay, so it's awful. Continue continue with the awful things on one hand i'm trying to not be numb to things because we need to like fight back but on the other hand i'm dying so <laughs> so it's a nice balance between <laughs> between the two yeah i'll just be like sitting there and then i'll like freak out and then i'll go back and like okay well this is fun and then you know just to tear down a couple of other things He's putting a block on refugees coming into the United States from Muslim-dominant countries until further notice. He has pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is, like, mostly symbolic because Congress never ratified it. Mm -hmm. um, but regardless, 
um, pulled out of that, he appointed a person who opposes net neutrality to head the FCC, which is incredibly concerning for net neutrality advocates. That's a whole conversation. And he is reportedly planning to cut funding to the National Endowment of the Arts. I really wish we had time to like explain all of these things in intricate detail, but we don't. Our podcast is not four hours, luckily for you, but also luckily for us. <laughs> oh man. Um, so all of these things like will be relevant in coming weeks and years and forever. So hopefully, almost certainly, at some point we will be able to do a deep dive into all of these different subject areas and other things as they come up. Um, but today we decided we want to talk about the planet, climate change. Ah, God bless Mother Earth. So Trump is going forward with the Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone Pipeline, um, which are highly politically controversial for many reasons, but one of the main things that we're going to focus on is its impact on climate change um, Mm -hmm. and oil dependency for the United States. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take the unpopular opinion here and go about, I guess, talking... Obviously, okay. So, climate change is real. Like this is this is definitely this is definitely a thing. Like there's no denying that. There's so much science behind it, um, and a lot of Obama's policies focused on working on climate change. But Quinn and I discussed earlier how there has been the use of the supposed non-existence of global warming or climate change to push a more conservative political agenda, and obviously that's not right. And so Obama has, during his um, administration was trying to um was trying to remedy that. So but here's the thing like Obama's regulations and requirements to el- eliminate climate control were definitely sound. Um they definitely made sense. But the thing is it wasn't going to do anything positive or significant to the environment like the world's environment unless India and China participated. Um so obviously that would lower our carbon emissions by a lot, but for the world, it wouldn't really do much. So these regulations, um, critics have been saying, have been put on our American companies, which has hurt our economy, and has it improved climate change? Possibly, but not on a large enough scale that it would make a definitely significantly um, positive difference. So unfortunately, it's going to be a lose-lose situation. Um, with climate change and how presidents want to try to remedy that. But it's just each president clearly is making it clear what he wants to prioritize. And because Trump is more conservative, then he is going to put American companies and American businesses before climate change. I think this is a really interesting point. And it brings into question the idea of like, values and priorities um, in the lens of what is practical and what is symbolic. I think that, for example, in the case of the Dakota Access Pipeline, um, so there were several different arguments going on about that, still going on about that, um, including the possibility of contaminating the drinking water on nearby Native American reservations. Um, But if you look at specifically the argument that it is bad for the environment, It is a largely symbolic political idea because this pipeline is such a small amount of the overall, like, oil usage of the United States. On the other hand, speaking as a sociologist, um, just because something is symbolic doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. 
It can be a stepping off point, a first step for uh, future measures. Um, it can be something to focus good energy and fundraising around for climate change activists. Um, and it could be, honestly, even if it is only a signaling of our values, um, the values of the Obama administration per se, that is important in itself because it signals like we do take climate change to be a priority and we do think that it is something that we as a country and we as the world should be focusing on because while you're right in just like factually that the climate change emissions of countries like China and India need to be addressed on a serious scale before we can address the world on a serious scale, how can we as a world power influence them to do anything when we're not doing it at home first? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And not only is it the um, practical versus the symbolic, but it's also, you know, short-term versus long-term. Like, what are we, what do we want to focus on? Because I feel like it's just one of those laws of nature, how the world works, that some, that it's very rare we're doing a certain thing is both extremely beneficial in the short run and the long run, you know? Otherwise, well then, obviously, why wouldn't we do it, you know? So it's just a, it's just a balance of priorities and, like, how we want to be viewed and how how what we can do can best lead by example, I guess. Um, so, yeah, not exactly an easy decision. So I'm glad I don't have to make it, but <laughs> still, still a very relevant topic. Yeah, and it is a good point that in the short term, yeah, like, not just using all the energy we want and putting more regulations on companies uh, does raise costs. It does hurt them to an extent, but also the planet. And that is hard. And like, I'm not the person who's losing my job over this, you know, and I recognize that that it's easy for me to not be like directly economically affected by this and say that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, again, like, I don't have the answer for that. Glad I'm not the person who has to come up with the answer for that. Um, But I think at this point in history, we really need to start prioritizing long term solutions because we're, we're coming up on the long term. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's that's a really interesting point, though. Like, yes, the long term is very important, but also, like, from our perspective, we can't really say that much just because, you know, our directly, like, this does not affect my job. This doesn't affect our jobs. Like, we don't have jobs. We are. <laughs> this is my job. <laughs> <laughs> um, Climate change is obviously like a huge issue and we need to focus on preserving what energy we do have so that there is a world in like a thousand years. Um, But also when you're thinking strictly about, you know, having a job and like feeding your family and and you're more focused on the now and you gain utility from being able to feed your family as opposed to say like the temperature is going to be like two degrees higher in the next century. It's just, you know, it's just hard. Like it's going to be a lose-lose situation either way. So... Mm -hmm. That's that's just the problem we have. So yeah. Well, I mean, until the hurricane from global warming storms destroys your house. Yeah. Well, there's that. So today we're actually pivoting to a totally new topic. Um, we're typically a very U.S. politics centric podcast because we are suffering um, and we're stressed out about it. But we wanted to look at a different country in the world and talk about that a little bit. Um, because of some of the stuff that's happened there recently and how it relates uh, in a very frightening way to like some of the situations that we're seeing in the United States. And that country is Brazil. Yeah, so basically what's been happening in Brazil, um, it's just absolutely awful. But 
there have been a lot, a lot of deaths in prison rebellions, um, new executions in prisons starting, um, a lot of those happened in the beginning of this year, and it just has, it has been a lot, a lot of volatility, a lot of violence in Brazil, and it's all over the news there. So we talked a little bit about prisons in the United States last week, and we expressed some concerns about, like, how many prisoners we have, um, and treatment of different people in different prisons, um, but that is absolutely nothing compared to what's going on in Brazil. Like, they, the amount of violence that has been incited in these prisons, and this is in the past few weeks, like, Mm -hmm. over, I think at this point, over a hundred people have died, Mm -hmm. um, by being murdered, um, by Mm -hmm. fellow inmates. So, in the United States, we always talk about having a problem with the amount of people who are in prisons and the amount of people that get arrested for uh, minor, non-violent, minor drug offenses. Um, But in Brazil, it's absolutely insane how many people are in these prisons. And it's just, there's so much violence and there's so much, um, there's so much killing among the prisoners and actually one of the uh, the youth secretary, uh, Bruno Julio, actually had to resign because he had earlier said that, oh, uh, more prisoners should be killed um, because the problem with prison killings is that there aren't enough of them, which is, well, obviously not a great thing that you want to say and have that released, let alone say in general. I can't even imagine thinking something that disgusting that that, like, people should be murdered and that they should be murdered at a faster rate because that's better for prison overcrowding and you don't think that they deserve to live. Mm -hmm. And you look at shows, like, a lot of American shows, like, on Netflix, like, Orange is the New Black, and um, that sort of didn't publicize prison life, but it's definitely sort of um, made known how what life was like and how life is portrayed as in prison. And I think it's definitely been informative at least. But um, when I was watching the show, even I was a little disturbed with how much stuff the girls were able to get away with. Like one girl was literally running a company out of her prison cell, um, things like that. But then you hear about stories in Brazil and it's just like, oh my goodness, this is gangs and slum members are just vying for control in the prison. And it's just a life or death, literally situation. There are a lot of questions about like, where there are questions about like how did these prisoners get access to weapons to attack each other um a lot of security concerns um huge issues with this there's problems with overcrowding and underfunding um and a lot of the violence is incited through gang problems there are large portions of the prison populations that are members of rival gangs um and they're a lot of the ones who are inciting these riots Um, and going after each other, and the prisons just don't have the institutional support and structure to be able to keep these from happening. It's also worth pointing out that when he made these comments, he also said that political correctness is ruining Brazil, because I guess political correctness means that you can't say you hope people get murdered. Like, it's hard for me to not look at the situation in this country and draw parallels back to the United States. And clearly this is a different scale, um, especially in this particular case of the prison riots, but you still see some of the same themes coming out. Um, These are problems with 
prison overcrowding and economic issues and officials with uh, corruption scandals um, who are rebelling against political correctness. It's like a bleak look at possibilities, you know? It just makes me lose even more hope in humanity, so... Oh, good. Yeah. That's, that's what you needed today. Yeah, so this is absolutely awful, and my prayers and thoughts are definitely with people who um, are seeing this or hearing about this on a regular basis, and definitely I, I was having a hard time going through some of these articles, so I can only imagine... I, I can't even begin to imagine um, how more real and how more terrible must be when you're on a much closer level to all the action. Mm-hmm. On a larger scale look at the situation in Brazil, um, like I mentioned before, that these issues are stemming from uh, problems with funding, um, and that is coming from the fact that the economy is really struggling. Employ- unemployment rate is at 12%. In Brazil, some are around 12% right now, um, which is incredibly high. I mean, mm-hmm. when the United States was going through the so-called Great Recession a few years ago, unemployment rate at its highest was maybe 9%. Mm-hmm. I think so. Brazil's also had a huge amount of problems with their political leaders. Um, lots of scandals and corruption embroiling the last presidency and administration. Now they have a relatively new president, uh, Mr. Temer, um, who's already having issues with low approval ratings, um, some some accusations of corruption in his cabinet. It kind of feels like Brazil just cannot catch a break with anything that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, We're discussing actually before we started recording how to us it's sort of not alarming but definitely perplexing how this isn't more in the media more just because Brazil was such a huge focus um especially this previous summer with the Olympics yeah I remember around Olympics time before the Olympics hearing a little bit Mm -hmm. like oh they're not sure that Brazil is going to be ready for the Olympics because they have safety security issues Mm -hmm. yeah the Zika virus yeah but then once it started everyone was like yeah sports go America America (laughs) uh only good part for America in 2016 that's fair but I haven't really heard anything about Brazil in, like, mainstream um, American news sense, which I guess, like, people are kind of preoccupied with the presidential election and now with the inauguration happening. Um, so it, it's not exactly a normal news cycle in terms of balance of domestic and international news here. But still, considering Brazil um, is such a large country, um, it is, like, it's a large country, right? I mean, it's not huge, but it's... I would say, like, a significantly large, or yeah. relatively large country. And considering that Brazil is a large country, um, and it has a lot of cultural significance, it's in South America, which is, like, not too far away, we're, like, neighbors, um, especially with these recent prison riots. Like, I didn't see anything about this cross any of my social media feeds or even, like, news sources that I was reading until I deliberately sought out stories about it. Mm-hmm. Same here. What do you think the responsibility is of people to learn about international stories like this when their own countries are going through a lot? I don't know if it's necessarily like a, when you say responsibility, I don't know, for me with responsibility, that implies a very like, like a mandatory um, sort of requirement, but I think it is it would be nice if you could stay as informed as possible about what's going on. 
um, especially if it is largely reported in like major news publications like CNN, New York Times, things like that. But as far as if your own country is going through a lot and seeking out information about other countries that might not have a huge direct effect on you personally as of now, I don't think it's a huge, at least for me, and I hate to say it, but for me, that's not a huge priority. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely something that I should be aware of in the future. So to Bird Fan that the world isn't on fire for a minute, the Oscar nominations came out. Woo! Yay! Media! Movies! You don't even like movies. Yeah, I don't like movies. I'm sorry, fam. Would you like to share with the class why you don't like movies? <sighs> yes, Miss Rose. Okay, so basically, uh, it's not that I don't like... Okay, here's the thing. I appreciate movies and I appreciate, like, film culture. Like, I think that is so essential to, you know, like, watching how things are... Inter- like, w- watch how events are interpreted. And, like, I think there definitely is beauty in cinema. And I respect everyone and anyone who can go into film or who can even take a class on film or anything with visual studies because I cannot. I just don't... I just don't get it. Um, but I guess I'm just very impatient and I also have this thing with where I like don't like surprises, so I will always read like the last chapter of a book or read the description of the entire movie on Wikipedia or something before I watch it. So it definitely so movies in that way definitely don't have that appeal and like surprise and that factor. So also I just feel like I have so much other stuff that I need to do, not like oh, like, I'm so important thing kind of, like, kind of thing, but just more like, oh, I have so much stuff to do, and I'm like, I need, I'm distracted, and I can't focus. So that's why I don't like movies. You're Quinn is so weird, and I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn is just giving me such, like, a puzzled look right now. I just really like movies. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I don't have to explain that to people. No, Pe- you don't. People usually like normal. movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, I like some movies. Okay. We discussed our favorite movies before, but I like some movies. So to share some of my initial thoughts about the Oscar nominations. Um, so for Best Film nominations, not a lot of surprises there. Some people expressed disappointment that Deadpool was not nominated. I shared this disappointment. That was a great movie. I would have loved to see that nominated for Best Picture. My dad and I actually had... You would appreciate this. So my dad's, like, obsessed with Quinn just because... Not, like, a weird way, but he <laughs> appreciates that, like, she loves comics and she knows the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek which I did not know and also you know like the depth of like the Marvel Universe versus DC and things like that but um yeah my dad didn't like Deadpool really I thought it was great like he thought it was like a very important um he thought it was like a significant film because you know it was filmed on a very low budget and it was definitely it was like the first R-rated superhero movie um well like, that's recently, that's, you know, in that whole universe, kind of. Yeah, like, the first, like, R-rated Marvel movie. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and he was just like, eh. So, I don't know. I mean, everybody... I haven't seen it, so I can't judge. I'm gonna be like, oh, everybody gets their own opinion, because I'm about to express a controversial opinion about a movie. Um, so I saw La La Land, and I didn't really like it, and I was very confused about this. So, I love musicals, I was really excited to see it. Uh, everyone loved it, and I went to see it, and I was like, I wanted to love it, but I just thought it was pretty boring. 
I don't know. I don't I don't understand why everyone loves it so much and it just confuses me. Yeah, my ninety six year old grandmother said the same though. So Aw. And she has great taste in movies. This might be the first thing I agree with your ninety six year old grandmother about. <laughs> no, stop. She's really cool, I swear. Okay. We should have her guest on the podcast. <laughs> um But so now La La Land is nominated for like a ridiculous number of things. Fine. I, I can appreciate that it was very pretty, but my personal opinion is that one of the reasons why it's so popular with awards nominations is because it's so incredibly indulgent for artists and people in Hollywood. Like, it's about LA, and it's kind- it's a little ridiculous. It goes kind of far. Regardless, nominated for a lot of things. I don't really mind that it's nominated for a lot of things, except if La La Land wins best song and Lin-Manuel Miranda does not become the youngest EGOT winner. I'm going to be so mad. He deserves that EGOT. <laughs> See, when we were talking about this before, and she was writing this in, like, our notes, um, and when I was reading it, I thought it was pronounced EGO. <laughs> like, the French. <laughs> like, French. Like, French, like, escargot. <laughs> or even though that's not, like, how you spell it, but I was just like, oh, EGO. <laughs> no, okay, so EGOT stands for Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. And Lin-Manuel Miranda, who was the composer of Hamilton and also played Hamilton. Yes, Jillian, I know you're going to go see it. God. Um, (laughs) No, I was just, like, so excited about him as a person. (laughs) I know, I know. He's great. So he already has an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony, a couple Tonys. Um, He doesn't have an Oscar, but he composed a bunch of the music for Moana. So if How Far I'll Go from Moana, which is nominated, wins Best Original Song, he will have an Oscar, and he will become the youngest EGOT winner, which is incredible. He's so cool. He deserves it. But two songs, two songs from La La Land are also nominated. And before I went to see it, I was like, oh, there's a good chance La La Land is going to win, and that's disappointing, because, like, we saw this coming years ago as soon as he was announced for Moana. We're like, oh my god, that EGOT, though. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's... EGOT, (laughs) though. Maybe it's not his year. And then I went to see it and I didn't like it. And I was like, now there is no excuse. <laughs> yeah. I actually really want to see that movie. Um, not La La Land, but Moana. Because I do love Disney movies. So oh, yeah. I feel like that's one redeeming quality about me. Uh, you need to see Moana. It was so good. Ugh. See, I haven't seen so many movies that were nominated that I want to see. I haven't seen Hidden Figures. I want to see it so bad. I really wish I had gone to see it instead of La La Land. <laughs> um, I also want to see Arrival, which came out a while ago and is based on a story that I have read. It was incredible. I really want to see that. And I also want to see Moonlight so bad. And I don't know how I missed all of these movies that I wanted to see. I didn't know any of these movies existed, so this is all news to me. Uh, Jillian. Um, But also, Amazon became the first streaming company to um, get a nod for Manchester by the Sea. So that's interesting. Um, That is pretty cool. So basically, Quinn and I are going to be the first podcast to have an, um, <laughs> an Oscar-nominated film. You know I have awards for podcasts. Like, we don't have to make a film. Ugh. <laughs> oh, but I was already going to work on our screenplay. <laughs> okay. Pretty much just going to be quotes that you say. <laughs> I think it's going to be quotes that you say. Oh, man. <laughs> it's actually just going to be us reading the, um, the transcript of our... <laughs> Of our podcast. We'll to, do a dramatic reenaction. To, to music written by um, Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so catch that right before our presidential run. We're just going to add things to the list. <laughs> this year also gave birth to the hashtag Oscar's not quite so white. 
because the last two years there's a lot of criticism of the oscars for only nominating white people for all of the main acting categories this year an incredible seven non-white people were nominated that's a bit sarcastic because it's still like the nominations vastly majority white people but progress yay also dev patel was nominated i love him so much oh my god he is so gorgeous (laughs) he is a beautiful human He's only the third Indian actor ever nominated and is the only Asian actor nominated this year. I just feel like we should all just congratulate his parents. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for producing such a great gift for humankind, for, for mankind. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> there are also lots of other incredible people nominated. I'm, we're not going to run through the whole list because that's a lot of effort. But lots of cool people There weren't any snubs that I saw besides, like, the Deadpool thing that really bothered me personally. Um, Also because I haven't seen most of these movies, so whatever. It's going to be interesting to see who wins Best Animated Movie because Moana's nominated, um, but so is Zootopia, which is also incredible. I heard Zootopia was good. Oh, so good. You haven't seen it? Mm -mm. Of course, you don't watch movies. It's really good. It's on Netflix now. We should watch it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, also, Public Service Mouse at Zootopia is on Netflix. Um, Netflix and Chill Queen? Hey. <laughs> also, Kubo and the Two Strings is nominated, which I haven't actually seen yet, but I've heard is phenomenal. So, really strong animated feature. Usually there's, like, that one really great Disney movie and everyone's like, oh, of course that's gonna win. But actually, several really good contenders, so mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see who wins that. Not like I'm gonna watch the Oscars, because I usually... The only award show I actually watch is the Tonys, but I will watch Twitter as it happens and find yes, out. Yes, exactly. So to finish out today's show, we have a listener review question. This is our system where if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes and then ask us a question, we'll answer it on the show. So this is a review left by John, and he is asking us about what would happen if we switched classes for a week. Um, he also specifies in the question, like, you could swap clothes styles so that um, nobody notices. And it was, like, clearly a joke, but also it was like, LOL, we are obviously twins. <laughs> no one can tell the difference between us. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're basically identical. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so the question is, what would happen if we switched classes for a week? Would we fall asleep? Would we pass? Or would we maybe realize that it's not so bad? So Quinn studies so- uh, sociology, and she's taking three sociology classes this semester. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're, like, advanced, so I would probably, um, I'm gonna give myself some credit, because I have taken one sociology class, and I don't think I would fail her out the first week, but I would definitely probably do some damage to your course grade. See, but sociology is generally pretty accessible, though, especially because you already study economics, so Mm -hmm. you, even though they're, like, very different fields, you do have some amount of social science backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I'm only taking one, like, seminar class, which are usually the more advanced, and they assume some amount of foundational knowledge, but the the other two sociology classes I'm taking are, like, very open to anyone, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to read some, like, more complicated theory stuff, but there's also, like, a lot of accessible things, so... I think everyone should study sociology all the time, even if it's not your major. Just, like, take a class. It's great. It's a really cool way of thinking that is really unique to this field that you're not going to get in other places. Mm -hmm. This turned into an advertisement for sociology, like, all of my conversations. (laughs) (laughs) Sell a little harder, Quinn. (laughs) I would suffer way more in your classes. Yeah, you probably would, just because I am taking German and Danish this semester. Yeah. So... 
That's a little questionable. Yeah. You would do fine in my Hebrew Bible class because you know something about the Bible. Like, that's fine. I, I have heard of it, yes. Yes, the Ten Commandments, whatever. It's fine. No, I, I've got, like, basic Bible knowledge. So you'd be fine with that. I don't know. I think I could. Tr- I would trust you in my econ classes because the econ classes I'm taking this semester, at least, hopefully, aren't too math-based or too number-based because I, myself, have problem with um, a lot of the more complicated math theory that goes behind a lot of the econ models. Um, but I think you would do okay in one of my econ classes, because I think I'm taking either a seminar or, like, an econ psych class, which is, you know... Okay, I could do econ accessible. psych. Yeah. I took a year of economics in college, so mm-hmm. I've got, like, a base level. I would definitely fail out of advanced German. Yes. Um, I have, I know zero German, except for Rome, because Jillian says that all the time. <laughs> Um, but you, no, you'd probably do find my Danish class too, because it's introductory anyway, so. Yeah, hypothetically, but I'm also bad at languages in general, so you probably don't oh, want whatever grade I'm going to get. Oh my god, this girl took Chinese for two years. Yeah, and I was bad at it. Oh my god, stop. <laughs> you can't take Chinese for two years and be bad at it. Yes, you can. I did, I promise. <laughs> uh, so, but we're just going to leave it at, we're glad that we don't study what the other studies. Yeah, you can have your German and econ. And I'll stick with studying, um, and I'll stick with studying cults and social media, which are two things I'm actually studying this semester. (laughs) Two of our favorite topics. Thank you all so much for listening today. You can find us on Twitter at MixedFeelingsFM, where you can tweet at us or send us a DM. You can also find us at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings, where there is a contact link to send us an email. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. You can also find us on iTunes, where it'd be amazing if you left us a review. And we'll answer your question. Yeah, as long as you're nice to us. (laughs) If you're mean, we're not going to answer your question. (laughs) Thanks for talking with me, Quinn. Thanks for talking with me, Jillian. (laughs) I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our mixed feelings. Time to wrap. Yeah. I think I close, right? It's yeah. an odd episode. Yes. Well, every episode's odd, but... <laughs>